Lauren Young is the founder of Sweet Lala's Bakery. She says living a life intended for impact requires a deliberate effort to understand what type of impact you want to make in your community or if you're thinking bigger in the world. Journey to Impact is full of practical principles and steps that help to align your passions, experiences, and resources to maximize a purpose-driven impact that is unique to you and your family. My good friend Kyle Rote Jr. says Ed has found a passion for Ethiopia in particular and now leads us through critical planning stages that have allowed him to provide a very effective winning process in serving hundreds both overseas and at home. Ed teaches us how to create our own purpose-driven concept that can be highly successful wherever you choose to serve. Let's welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint the man behind those words, Ed Gillentine. Ed, welcome to the program. Thank you, Byron. It's really good to be here. We've been longtime friends. Yeah. I've actually watched you grow up. One of my first memories of you and your family was the old Bellevue doing a living pictures, and somehow I was an angel. We walked down the aisle, and it was kind of mass chaos, but that was one of my first memories of you. You were an angel. Liz, <laughs> right. your wife says you're yes, still an she, angel, that's right? exactly what she says, right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, that takes back living pictures. You know, that was when Bellevue would do the passion play, right. but it was behind the scrim. Mm-hmm. They would shine lights behind, turn the scene on, and act it out. Yep. Very innovative, right? It was. It's interesting. You look at life and how life moves on. Right. Families move on. But you've got a release of a new book we're going to talk about. You are the principal of the Gillentine Group. Why don't you just give us a little insight into what the group is about and what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. So the really short version is we want to help people align their values with their resources, particularly with their financial resources. So that sounds really easy, but I believe, Byron, if your values don't drive your money, your finances, your finances will drive your values. And what I mean by that is you hear of this thing called financial drift. And so as you make more money, you spend more money, right? right. And so if you're not intentional about it, it's going to drive you instead of you driving it. And so that was our original passion. And so in, I want to say, 2003, 2004, we got started. And then it's kind of grown from there. We realized that our niche is helping people that want to get outside of the traditional 60-40 investment portfolio and at least look at other opportunities where they can do social good, spiritual good, using business and using investments. Wow, very good. Let's go back a little bit. I want you to paint a picture, if you will, just after your honeymoon, okay? Yeah. You and Liz had this marvelous time. I'm sure you went to Tahiti or some yes. exotic place. <laughs> uh, as a couple, some of your dreams and passions in those early days? That's a fantastic question. In the early days, we had a vision that we felt like God had given us. And and frankly, we both felt like we wanted to be on a career path where we'd make a lot of money. For me personally, it was to sort of climb the Fortune 500 ladder, have three or four weeks of vacation, two weeks of those I'd use to go on mission trips, and we'd give a lot of money away. But God changed that in, in a good way. And I ended up having my own business having more control of my time. But where God really changed it is when he took us to Ethiopia in 2009. And and that's when this relationship with you, Joe, and Karen Bridges began. Exactly. Did you meet the Bridges prior to going to Ethiopia? Yeah, so it actually goes further back. My wife's roommate in college was Karen Bridges. And so as we developed a deeper relationship with her and her husband, Joe, they had this crazy idea that God wanted them to go to Ethiopia and help at-risk children. So they had to start a board, right? And when you're young and dumb, 
you can't really get smart people on your board, so you ask your friends, right? So they asked us. And so we were on that first board, had no idea what we were doing. We began to, to learn. They invited me to come to Ethiopia to help them with a – they'd kind of run into a bureaucratic sort of wall. And they asked me to come down as a business guy and try to, try to uh, help sort of get it off center. And I went down there, Byron, and I'll never forget – Stepped off the plane, went to the drop-in center, and our hearts, I say ours, even though I went, Liz's heart was, it felt like it was right there with me, and we were we were just connected. Yeah. And we haven't looked back. Instant love. Yep. Uh, did you have children when you took that trip, that first initial trip? The very first trip, we had a brand new baby, and it seemed like, so we have three kids, it seemed like the first several trips... Every time I would go, we'd have a new baby. And so that's uh, Liz's contribution to hold the fort down at home while I'm traipsing around uh, Ethiopia. Oh, I love that. Ed, does the idea of being given a set amount of days on this planet help drive your purpose? You know, many people seem to live life like there's no end to life. Absolutely. To know that your days are numbered, not in a bad sense, right? But in a good sense that we have this number of days given, whatever it is that the Lord gives us, and that... We need to maximize that for his kingdom's purpose. And there's a balance there. You see some people, they go 24-7 and they run out, right? Yeah, they yeah, they yeah. burn themselves out. And then you some, see some people that aren't really connected at all. And I think there's a faith component there. God's given me a number of days, but he's also given me a grace to do what he's called me to do. And that's the balance we want to strike. Yeah. How about the idea of the purpose-driven impact? It started coming into focus when? I know that you were first challenged back in 2017, but you ignored it for a period of time. Why did you do that? Yeah, so I didn't really think I had anything to offer. And, and if you were to read the book, you would realize there's no original ideas in there. It's a compilation of ideas that gracious men and women from around the world have shared their failures, their successes. Byron, I hate reinventing the wheel. It seems very inefficient. <laughs> so if I can learn from men and women that have been having impact and they seem to be very excited to share about their failures because they don't want me to, to recreate it. Well, then I began to grab all these ideas, and, and so I started writing them down. And then a colleague of mine challenged me to write a book because he heard me get on my soapbox one time, and he said, you know, there's like nine chapters right there on your soapbox. <laughs> and I said, no, nah, nobody really wants to do it. It's a lot of work. I don't have time. i got small kids, all those excuses. But over the next six months, it became clear that at least I needed to try it for – no other reason than it would help me clarify what I thought. Yeah. And then it kind of went from there. A sobering moment for you came while standing on a balcony in Ethiopia. Do you recall what it was that disturbed you at that time? Yeah, it was my second trip to Ethiopia. And the first trip, I'm all pumped up and I'm thinking, typical American, right? I can go raise a bunch of money. We can change the world. We're going to solve this problem in Ethiopia. Came back the second trip. Addis Ababa is the capital city. It's a beautiful city. Um, and at nighttime, where we were, we were looking down kind of on the bowl that is the city. It's a gigantic bowl. Some people say there's 4 million people. Some people say there's 8 million. There's no way to know, right? It is a bunch yeah. of human beings. And I looked down on that city. And this particular trip, we had run into some bureaucratic issues, Byron. And I realized that there were plenty of people out there that were not interested in helping they weren't interested in solving the issue, even though hundreds of people, thousands of people over the years. This is a perpetual issue. This, this is going on for issue. many, many years. Yes. And it's the same issue in Addis as it is in Washington, D.C., Memphis, Tennessee, or whatever. It's a heart issue, right? Yeah. And I remember standing there, and the Lord brought to mind um, 
Jesus looking at Jerusalem. And you remember He holds out His hands and He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you into My arms like a mother chicken gathers her chicks in, but you would not. And that just stuck with me. And, and I wept. I think God finally gave me compassion for those people. It wasn't about me helping them at that point. It wasn't about me having these great ideas. It was about me being there and having God's heart for people. One of the questions, Ed, that surfaced at that moment standing on that balcony, why in many cases do well-intentional attempts to alleviate need cause so much harm? And you just alluded to this a moment ago, but I want to kind of expand this a little bit because I think especially the Western mindset for us here, throw money on it and it's going to get better. Absolutely. Two books. One is called Toxic Charity, written by a gentleman out of Atlanta and When Helping Hurts by Brian Fickert out of Covenant College. Uh, Brian's been on the show before. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic guy. I had been reading those books and I went down there and I realized, oh, my goodness, Byron. I had some great ideas, but I'd even done some things well-intentioned, though they were, that actually hurt. So, for example, and this is kind of a really basic example, but at our farm in southern Ethiopia, it's very rural. And what if we decided that it was a cold winter and we needed to provide firewood for everyone. And so we go somehow provide firewood. What happens to the four or five guys in that village that their job is to provide firewood, Firewood. right? They're out of a job, right? And so those are the unintentional things that can happen. Can I just stop one second here? It reminds me of a story. You know that our family used to serve as missionaries with Transworld Mm -hmm. Radio. As we were preparing to go, there was a couple, Dwayne and Millie Gow, who had been with TWR for many, many years. Mm -hmm. He was one of our trainers. He, in the early days, was assigned to go and start a new construction site in Sri Lanka for a transmitter. When he got there, he realized when they wanted to move a pile of dirt— It wasn't to bring in a bulldozer and pick up like you and I would think to do, Mm -hmm. because that would take away from the people's job, as you said. It was one bucket at a time. A bunch of men that would come with their buckets and move the pile of dirt. And then when it came to erect the tower, the structure of the tower, they first had to build a bamboo structure to be able to build their tower, which Mm -hmm. that's not how we would do it in America. That's exactly right. So it's being sensitive to culture too, right? Culture drives everything. A similar story at our apple orchard, we had a pretty significant drought the year after we planted the seedlings. And we took a little criticism because there's a video of some of our workers. Side note, 55% of our workers are female, which was a strategy for us. That's not culturally acceptable in Ethiopia. But we wanted to provide jobs for women. Well, we had an emergency. And so these ladies, there's probably 35 or so of them in a video, are hand watering 10 or 20,000 apple seedlings. And so we took a little criticism. Why are you having them do that? Well, number one, we couldn't get the materials we needed for a bunch of reasons for the well. Number two, they love to work. Number three, that was their community connection working. So we knew, even despite the criticism, that what we were doing was right and it was good for them and healthy. And they got paid. So when the government, I think that year, decided to change all the uniforms for school, they didn't have to panic. They were able to go buy uniforms for their kids, send them to school. And it's those little things, I think, that are the manifestation of a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense, Ed. You know, there are needs all over the world, including here in the United States, I had a Bible college professor used to say, the need doesn't constitute the call. 
Right. Okay? How can I identify a need where God might have a plan to connect my past experience, talents, passion, mm-hmm. and put the two together if that's in his will? Yeah. So I think as a tool is what I call a Venn diagram. And so if you think about three overlapping circles that right in the center, they kind of all overlap. If you have one circle that's your passions, one circle that's your skills, and one circle that's your experiences, and you kind of write those down, what I typically have found is that there's several items in the sweet spot there that it's not a guarantee, right? Because I believe the Holy Spirit needs to just really confirm that. But it's amazing how he uses your skills and your experiences and your passion. So we didn't know this for a while, but one of our passions is injustice. Like, that really fires me up. If you were to have Liz on here, I can get just as fired up at Chick-fil-A, somebody bragging in the line, or at the car line at school, right, right. as I can for something significant like sex trafficking. Mm. And I'm not trying to compare the two, but I'm telling you that in my heart, injustice is a big deal. And that ultimately led us to at-risk children. Yeah. What are some of the obstacles have you found that people wanting to make an impact find when they start turning their attention to the area, making an impact? What are some of those obstacles? Sure. I think the first thing you got to get over is your own sense of insignificance, right? I wrestled with the idea of using impact in the title because most people don't think, oh, I can have an impact, right? And I think that's wrong. We think Martin Luther King Jr. has impact. We think Mother Teresa has impact, but... You know, I'm just normal old me. Yeah. But God has a special and unique call for each of us. And we have to accept that he said we're good. He said we're very good. And so I think we as human beings have to get over that hump first. Once we do that, then you run into financial issues. And one of the things that, because I'm in the financial industry, one of the things that I enjoy doing is getting creative and building puzzles using the different financial pieces that 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 we have in our country and around the world. So you run into finances. You run into, I don't know that I know what I need to know about this sector. Yep. Case in point, Liz is a uh, really accomplished primary school teacher. So we thought just like we would do in the United States, on weekends, you go to a community center and you hang out with the kids and you hold them in your lap and you play basketball with them. And we thought, we'll just go to that in U.S., right? By the way, that's classical U.S. We're going to take what works here and go to a totally different culture. Warning, be careful. It sometimes works, but very rarely. And so we went over there expecting to help. And we realized these kids were too traumatized emotionally, physically, spiritually for us from a different culture to jump in and help them. For example, um, for a male to touch a child that's off the streets over there is probably going to frighten them. I'm just giving them a hug, right? I'm showing affection. But they've been so abused that they're going to take off and probably never come back. So we realized we had to step back and support those that were on the front lines that were actually trained to work with them. So those are the types of things that you run into. And I feel like you have to accept you're going to make mistakes. We made mistakes, right? But you also have to be fiercely committed to when I see a mistake, I'm backing up really quick and I'm going to try to learn from that mistake. Mm. If you don't learn from it, it's an absolute waste of time. But I've never had a mistake that when I was trying to learn, I couldn't learn from it. Where do you think is the balance between spirit led and human effort? You work with a lot of type A personalities, Mm -hmm. your clientele, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Most business owners and professionals, they're entrepreneurs. That's who they are. Right. Whether it be doctors, lawyers, they just got that strong drive personality. You Mm -hmm. know that. So what is the balance between spirit-led and that human effort? Well, 
It's a balancing act for sure. And I envision the people that walk across the tall buildings, you know, and it's like a million (laughs) feet down. That stick's always moving, right? What they try to do is not get it way out of whack, right? And so I think whether you're a type A or on the other end of the spectrum, if you're really introverted, you want to balance your natural propensities with all those experiences and your skills. So, for example, Byron, you and I both know introverted people that can play extroverted, but they're exhausted when they do it. So you don't want to put them in a spot where they got to be extroverts for 12 hours a day. It's not going to work. You're trying to balance that. And I know this sounds crazy. I heard pastors and teachers saying this growing up, um, and especially Dr. Rogers, who was my pastor for 32 years, saying, you just know. I remember being in his office one time. He said, you will know when the Holy Spirit's giving you peace. Now, that's really hard because we want to be charging forward and sometimes we need to be waiting. So you do your work, you do your Venn diagram, you talk to the experts and then you say, all right, God, is this for me? And Byron, I remember when it was for me, there were three of my colleagues, uh, John Osier and Jonathan Bridges and I sitting around a table and the Highland Harvesters project had gotten to where we knew it's time to fish or cut bait. And I had a sense of peace that this was the project. And you know what it was? This is totally opposite of me. It was too big for me to do on my own for us as a group. And we all felt in that instant that it was time to jump off the cliff. You're stepping into something bigger than yourself. That's exactly right. Wow, I love that. And that's where faith kicks in. Yeah. Right? Faith is believing in something we can't see. And it's impossible to please God without faith, Hebrews tells us in chapter 11. And I think maybe there are so many opportunities for incredible ministries and where God wants to do, but our lack of faith, we're not seeing it happen. Right. We want to put it on a spreadsheet and model it out. By the way, ask any business owner, life never happens according to your spreadsheet. And yet we think missions or ministry or whatever should. So, yeah, that's where the faith comes in. And I'll promise you it's the most frightening thing I do. What happens, Ed, if you don't see immediate results? I mean, even after you fine-tune the strategy, you know that your intent is right, but you don't see the results. Right. That's sort of the second phase of faith. I envision jumping off a cliff, and you keep expecting to hit the bottom, and you don't. And you just you got to keep trusting that God's doing it. The other thing I think that's important is that you have to trust that if it gets off track, God's going to get back on track. But let me say this. I've wanted to quit seriously three times in the last 10 years. And for some reason, God has, through my colleagues, through Liz, through whatever. But probably the thing that has helped me the most, and I'm going somewhere with this, is a little five-by-seven picture of a little girl named Sasina, who was the first little girl we were able to help in Ethiopia. And I got to meet her in 2009, I think. She was about nine years old. And I printed that picture out, Byron, because when I bump up into bureaucratic insanity, When I bump up into people that don't want help, when I bump into running out of money, I put that picture on the table in front of me, and I remember that we're doing this for a person, not for a project. I'm not doing it for fame or fortune. I'm doing it for Sosi. Liz is doing it for Sosi. And when we want to give up, we realize that we're helping a little girl that's in generational poverty. And I think for believers, we got to remember there's another aspect to that as well. We're doing it for a person, Jesus Not a project. And that, when the going gets tough, because it will, I guarantee you, it'll get tough. That's what keeps me going. Ed, you just answered one of the questions. The book is dedicated to Sosi. Saw that in the beginning of the book, and I was wondering, who is Sosi? Glad we could discover who she is and about her life and how she has motivated you and driven you with this passion. 
Okay, let's talk a little about the rewards that your family has gained as a result of following these strategies and the methods that you talk about in your book. Yeah, so obviously there's a lot of rewards just listening to God and seeing Him show Himself as you take another step. But those ladies watering that field, I think you can probably check out our website, Highland Harvesters or or the Forsaken Children. They're singing Ethiopian hymns. I mean, they're having the best time doing some of the hardest work. Um, When I realized that in a culture that is much more nuanced about its faith, men and women are coming to faith in Christ. When I realized that we believe we'll be able to have a medical clinic where there is none, when I realized that 150 people in a village that had no jobs um, have jobs. And then I'll tell this story uh, just because I think it maybe sums it up or one of the stories that sums it up. Our apple orchard is at the top of a, a mountain. It's about 9,000 feet above sea level. You can barely breathe. <laughs> at least I can because I'm out of shape. But when I went to visit it one time, they had cleared it out and I saw this uh, trench cut in there, Byron, and it went really long. And I, I'm just curious. I, I thought it was some sort of irrigation thing. And I said, what is that? And you could tell they were having trouble translating what this was. But in essence, it was a trench for punchy sticks. Remember Vietnam, they make the sharp sticks and yeah. stick it down in there. Well, the village we were working with and the other village at the top of the mountain had been in conflict. So we're talking in the last 60 years, men that were there remembered throwing spears, shooting arrows. It was that kind of war, right? The village we work with is the weaker one at the lower part of the valley. And they lured the other village down. They fell in that pit and it killed a bunch of them. They also weakened a cliff and lured them out on that. So this was a a lot of tension. And this is coming to light, right? We, yeah. We're parked right here. And so we had this big get-together. The village elders come, and they still they stick their spears in the ground, and that sort of signifies we're having a meeting. They're all in a circle, and they kind of squat down, stick their spears in. It's real patriarchal and goes oldest to the youngest and that sort of thing. Matter of fact, one of my uh, greatest honors was to get a spear to be sort of in that group of elders. So I keep the spear in my office. It's really special. <laughs> but... They got up there making these speeches, and we're thinking, oh, my goodness, either we're about to, to fire this war up again, or this is really good. It turned out to be really good. The elders, the two oldest guys, said, remember, we've been fighting over this. You remember we had wars, death, blood, and now God has brought these people here for reconciliation. We couldn't have preached a better sermon. But that's why we're there. It's about reconciliation. It's not about cramming the gospel down people's throat because ag screams the gospels. Reconciliation screams the gospel. We just sort of sit back and watch God work. Wow. And it's pretty crazy. What a lesson for us here in the U.S. Yeah. As we look at all the racial tension. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. You talk about this being a family affair, a multi-generational endeavor. Do you see signs where your children are showing interest and developing a passion to carry on the work. And I'm, I'm sure that multi-generational view can not only go to your kids right. as you possess this ministry, mm-hmm. but for those on the other side, too, as they receive, as they partner with you. I would say from our family side, like any parent, it sort of ebbs and flows, right? Sure. But we have asked our children, uh, typically on most trips, is there a gift you want to send down? One of your things or some money or something. I've always been amazed at what they send, like maybe their most precious toy or whatever. The picture with Sosie, the very first one I have is a, she's holding a bunny rabbit that Mullen had picked out. She wanted to send down to her. So with our children, we're just living it out and trusting that God will change their hearts and shape their hearts. And I think he's doing that because of some of the things that they do and say, and they question. Now on the Ethiopia side and many of my other colleagues, 
we've been down there probably 10 years or so. And so you're starting to see the little kids grow up and you're starting to see what they do. There's challenges to that. But as we try to afford them opportunities to come on at Highland Harvesters, a future, it is really fascinating to watch how they want to respond to, I guess, the gift that they see God gave them, a second chance or whatever, by pouring into others. And so it's still new, it's still early for us, but we see tiny little shoots, green shoots of, of God working. That is exciting. Well, our time is coming quickly to an end. One thing I want to find out is what you are hoping that readers walk away with. What's the take home? It's real simple. It's the same thing I want for me. Number one, embrace the unique impact purpose that God has for you. It's unique to you. Nobody else has got it. And if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. So number one, embrace that uniqueness that God's given you. Number two, begin shaping and building a thoughtful impact strategy. That takes time. It takes work and it takes effort. The third thing, get off the bench. The game is going. God wants his people out there. You can be like me and you can overthink it for 30 years. At some point, you got to get in the game. And so if people read that book and it encourages them, I'm unique, embrace it, I can do something, and I'm going to start doing it, I'm stoked. Oh, that's great. Are you available for personal consultation? How can somebody contact you? Best way to do it is go to the website, edgellantine.com. It's kind of centered around the book. And there's a a link you can click on that'll send me an email. And we're happy to talk about people. You can tell, Byron, I get fired up about it. Matter of fact, the hardest thing for me to do is shut up. So we'd love to talk to people. We'd be happy to do that. Journey to Impact, a practical guide to purpose-driven investing. It is an Amazon top 50 on the charity genre. Pretty crazy. That's pretty nice. (laughs) And so Amazon's a place to get the book. Where else can we get a copy of the book? You get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it at Lauren Young's company, Sweet Lala's, here in Memphis, and also at the booksellers, Perkins & Poplar. Of course, you get it on our website, and it is in all the formats, so hardback, paperback, and digital. And you're working on audio, right? Yeah, sure I am. And so hopefully in the next three or four months, that'll be done. And for those audible learners, you just fire it up in the car and listen to my amazing voice, and it'll probably put you to sleep. I love it. <laughs> Ed Gillentine, God bless you, my dear brother. Thanks for having me. Thank you Blessings for to you. what you are continually to do for God's kingdom and making Christ known. And thanks for encouraging us to find that purpose, to be driven and passionate, ultimately to make his kingdom known. Thank you so much. Blessing. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Don't forget now, the book is called Journey to Impact. And I would encourage you to get your copy of this book, A Practical Guide to Purpose-Driven Investing for the Kingdom. Please check it out. I'm Byron Tyler. That's all the time we have. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.